0: Buonasera uh, Breaking Lines podcast. Um I'm your host Zach Lowy with Kevin Williams, uh Cristiano Oliveira, and Antangelo. Uh so I wanna start this by uh versus Pure Little The main goal of this podcast, I think. Um played his final game Andre Pirlo played his final game uh, weeks ago retiring and Xavi recently announced a few weeks ago that he himself would retire at the end of the season so got two pro Pirlo fans on here well all of us love Pirlo, nobody hates Pirlo um, but two people who want to say that Pirlo is better than Xavi two people who will say the opposite so uh Kishan, Matt, Kevin, you want to take a crack at this? Or? I'll
1: start off by saying that the two pro Pirlo guys are by far the smartest guys here in this conversation. <laughs> oh. Just well, wanted to throw that in there.
0: Is that to uh, New Yorker arrogance again? I can't, I can't even. All right, fine. Go ahead. To me,
1: it's a conversation that we should not even be having. To me, Andrea Pirlo, the magician, the maestro, <laughs> there was nothing my man couldn't do on a pitch. And on the other side, for me, Shabby, not taking anything away from the guy, not saying that the guy wasn't a good quality player, but to me, he was just a product of the players around him. I think he played on tremendous teams, and did. I mean, let's be honest, guys. Did he ever make a pass longer than 15 yards? Come on. To me, Pirlo was just a magician, dude. Pirlo dictated the pace of play, dictated the whole game. The dude won World Cups, as did, as did Xavi. I understand that. But to me, it's just a different, a different beast on the field. The whole play ran through him. Um, I still think that going back to 2006, the, the World Cup, everybody was praising Carnavado. You know, rightfully so. He had a tremendous World Cup. But to me, to play of the tournament by far was Andrea Pirlo. Not a single ball did go past midfield before reaching Pirlo. He controlled the whole game. And to me, you know, the guy's done a lot in his, in his career. He's accomplished a lot. But I keep going back to, you know, the, the, to the World Cup. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that. The stage was as big and as bright as it's ever going to get, and the guy was just lights out. And um, I've seen him control you're going, games. You're
0: going Pirlo over Zidane for the World Cup back in 06?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, Man. he was the most influential player on the team that eventually lifted the cup. So that's the way I look at it.
0: So you
2: realize that all your uh, Pirlo yeah. descriptions, matched uh, Xavi as well, right? Uh, A yeah. controlling play, uh, mm-hmm. controlling all the passing, uh, mm-hmm. playing into the future. They're really, I mean, in many ways, this uh, debate is sort of pointless because they're the same player, right? In many ways, mm-hmm. um, it all flows through them. And so, yeah, Dhabi has some uh, great teams, but let's face it, team didn't exactly suck, right? Um, yeah. Yes, he had. Messy,
1: yeah, uh, great, players. yeah. Busquets, yeah, That's the awesome. guys around them who control the game as well. Yeah,
3: you know, you know what it is. If I can just like interject here because yeah. I feel that a lot of yeah. this conversation, a lot that we have to you know, look look into is the, the fact of the different um eras in a way. I mean, yes, they both you know, they've been for the most part, obviously, in, in our time generation, everything like that, they've been successful, you know, well recognized, everything like that, but if you look at the, the, you know, the whole social media aspect of it, right? So really when the Twitter, Facebook, and all these different platforms came about, that was at the heart of Spanish football from 2008 to 2012 when they won three consecutive major trophies. So you had the 08 Euro, you had the 2010 World Cup, 2012 Euro, where Spain dominated, right? So when you look, when you take that into consideration, At that point, Pirlo, yes, Pirlo was still a very effective player, obviously, for Juventus, um, you know, once he left Milan. But really where Pirlo got a lot of his acclaim and and a lot of rose to stardom was those years at Milan where they were dominating. They were on top of the world, winning the 2007 Champions League final. 2005, obviously, they lost to Liverpool, you know, but in 2003, they beat Juventus. And he was at the very heart of those Milan teams that had so much talent up and down the field that, Sometimes it felt as though you look past Pirlo in a way because you had Inzaghi, you had Nesta, Maldini. There was names everywhere. So I feel that that's, we, we can also look towards that. I think with Javi, he was a little bit more recent in a way that he, he was in his prime, at least in my opinion how I see it. Um, but for me, Pirlo, they're in a, two different ways, they're very obviously they're very different players. For me, when I look at Pirlo, he didn't have that, that that quickness and all these little things but the way he moved about it was very elegant and in a way that when you look at him and you see his slow maneuvers those very you know slow feints to kind of get you know additional space for himself and then pick a long ball that's what made him so unique and I think that's what kind of made him cool in a way he wasn't as flashy but he was flashy in a minimal way and I think you know if, if that makes sense to you guys um you know, even till, you know, the, the, until he came to New York with um, New York City FC. Similar case. You know, people were looking at him. He's, you know, my father, he's not even a big soccer fan, but he's went to a couple games uh, mm-hmm. at Yankee Stadium, and he would look at Pirlo, and he'd be like, he's, does it, he's, he's not fast. He's not quick, but he pulls it off, and it's just everything's on a dime. Everything's this, and I think he was kind of that, that masterful player without, you know, maybe jumping off the page for the average fan.
0: Right. I want to uh, get back to what Cristiano said about Xavi not being able to complete a fifteen-yard pass. <laughs> my friend, you are in the wrong industry. <laughs> all crazy. You're, in, you're in broadcasting. <laughs> you should be in politics because you have an uncanny ability to just completely uh, take fake news. Look, man, the back. way I look at it <laughs> is this
1: way: every time Pirlo played in a big game, my man put out match of a man performances time after time. Okay. And not taking anything he away from Shavi, he was an excellent player. I'm sorry.
3: 2014-15 final. <laughs> mm,
2: Ooh, <bingo. laughs>
3: he was a little bit. He was a little bit longer, worse than the He was up
1: there. He wasn't the same player. But let's go back. You to, his to time. take a jab at
3: him as a Milan fan. You That's know, how fine. to take a That's, jab
1: at him there. Come listen, on. I'll forever love him. Love him There's for what he did lot. at Milan. Um, to me, oh, yeah. the dude just he stepped up in every big moment. And Xavi, again, not taking anything away from him, guys, but. I'm still yet to 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 go back and recall a big match where he led his team to to, to the victory. I think Iniesta had a lot more to, to say in those games. The Messi's of the world, the Eto's. Just going back, you know, Busquets, not saying that he didn't good, he didn't do a good job of controlling the pace of the game. But it to Pirlo is just different, dude. To me, I, I look at Andrea Pirlo, and out of all these center mids that you could go back over the last 10-15 years, I mean. Uh, he's right up there as my number one guy I would take to build a play on my, on any ball club that I'd be in charge of.
2: Look, I mean, so with the perception of xavi uh, is that uh, because he doesn't have numbers, right? He doesn't have lots of assists. Uh, he doesn't have lots of mm-hmm. goals. And that can sometimes mess with the perception that uh, people have of what he did. The thing about xavi uh, is xavi was, uh, the guy who made the pass right before uh, right. the pass, so right he always opened up mm-hmm. uh, play for Bounce, and it's fairly easy to say, yeah, he's surrounded by all these guys. But if you watch him play, and I had the uh, luxury of having followed the team since nineteen ninety nine, right, and seeing uh, the various iterations of Shaden right, out uh, there with the first version which was kind of tentative, kind of weird there. There was the Algino version where he was kind of messing around with him. what he wanted to be. And then there was the Guardiola version, uh, mm-hmm. which is the uh, Shabby Everybody Knows, right? And that man was uh, the key to all of the whole parts of the universe, right? I mean, people uh, tend not to rate him because he wasn't dynamic, um, where um uh, During the uh, Milan years, you had uh, Pirlo who moved up, back, side to side, long balls, short uh, balls. He was really this much more noticeable uh, dictator, where Xavi was sort of the kind of conductor who rather than waving the baton with uh, showy gestures, would keep it really tight to his vest. And yet, he's I uh, still control the I think that many people overlook uh, Xavi because uh, they say, oh, he doesn't do much. It's always short passes. Uh, but the thing about uh, Xavi is you have to watch. Uh, my favorite saying about him is that he uh, plays into the uh, future. I, I think that's very accurate. Um, uh, with Barca, right, the run always dictates uh, that pass. With uh, Xavi, he uh, kept the ball. Moved just enough to make that uh, defense move, and then opened up uh, that run, and the ball was always perfect. He and Pirlo did much of the same stuff. So for me, right, this uh, debate is like uh, chocolate versus dark chocolate. I mean, they're both chocolate, but it's just sort of like shadings of an
1: overall thing. Exactly. Yeah, and it all depends on whether you like dark chocolate, or light chocolate, and in this case, I think Pirlo was just not again not taking anything away from Xavi. Pirlo was just a step above. Because here's the thing that gets me about Pirlo. I mean, uh, uh, about Xavi, right? Mm-hmm. Is everything you've just used to describe Xavi, right? I feel like I've heard uh, from the Iniesta fans and defending him. <laughs> it's kind of like the same <laughs> argument at the same time. It just bugs me. I think he was good. Yeah, I think he, uh, go ahead.
2: The uh, thing about Iniesta, right, is that he, so he and Xavi, where Xavi was the sort of uh, reference point, right, Iniesta was the, uh, the flamboyance, the filigree, to mm-hmm. Xavi's stability, so the ball always come back to Xavi, and then they send Iniesta off to make some magic, and uh, see what could happen. So they're they're still very different and again, I mean that's another guy who's uh, so way underrated. Yeah. He's yeah. Right.
1: I don't know. I just, I just keep looking back at those great AC Milan teams, the great Italian sides, and it's always – everything has always been run through Andrea Pirlo. The guy is just a maestro. The guy – there's nothing he couldn't do on the field. And as far as goals, I mean, they both – if you look at both of their careers, they're right above 500 games, right around 60 goals each, right, roughly, you know, give or take one or two. They were relatively, like you said, the same player, but to me, Pirlo was just – I mean, at another
3: level, I thought I I thought the guy. So where do so? Let me ask you this, Cristiano, because if you're kind of more on the Pirlo side here, the conversation not more for sure. (laughs) 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 It's safe (laughs) to say that. So take into consideration both players. I mean, look at Pirlo. Pirlo added that he. I mean, not only was he a fantastic midfielder in terms of dictating play and spraying the ball around, the long ball, everything like that. He was a legitimate threat every time he stepped over a ball on a set piece. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. In point corners. He was a threat from anything that was, you know, within 25, 30 yards out from, from, from goal. I mean, we saw that infamous um, – the one – I remember it was like a gif I saw. It was the one at the, uh, at the Euro. Or no, at the, at the World Cup, that, 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 that free kick that hit the bar, that like, yeah. swerved like it's so yeah. heart, that didn't go in. It was like this, there, some people were like the sexiest free kick that never went in or something like that. Like it was so right. weird. thing. And I think like his, the, the threat he provided from dead balls in, in, in the manner in which he actually did it, it also kind of gives him, that, in my opinion, that extra nod in his favor because he added that dimension to his game and he was elite in two different areas of his game.
0: You have to keep
2: in mind that uh, Xavi also
0: took free kicks. He did. Not as regular as Pirlo, but he did take free kicks.
2: Right. Um, the problem was that
0: Xavi was on a team with
2: Messi. <laughs> and when yes. you're on a, a team where there you have the best guy at, at everything, I mean, hell, Messi's a, a better passer than Xavi. I mean, Messi is this supernatural being that you want to do every uh, thing you possibly can uh, without Messi.
1: Yeah, but Kev, Kev. Yeah, John Kev.
2: would take more than we
1: free kicks. I'm sorry to jump in, bro, but you could go back with Xavi, right, when he first entered his prime, even before Messi got there. We could go back with the Deco years, yeah. with the Ronaldinho years, you know, when Rykar was in charge. You could go in. back when he initially came in and learned on the Guardiola. I mean, you could go all the way back. And to me, it's like, look, he was a great player. I just—it's—he's never been my type of player, I should say. I mean, I'm just going to flat out and say i, I never Perfect. thought that he was the reason why Barcelona was either winning or losing. I thought he was a, an important cog, but I thought if you took him out and put another player with his ability in the same position, I think they would win as many with, games with, as with they did. But with with the, the supporting cast. Right. That's the thing,
2: except for Pirlo, who was playing in Milan.
3: But the thing is, though, I the thing is, I have in, I in, I in 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 favor of Pirlo is that even at some of those roles where you know those mid those years where he would play under Ancelotti and and, and everyone like that, he was really the the sole creator of that midfield, right? So I mean, he did obviously have Kaká, Kaká's a creative player. Relax, like, yeah,
1: Rui Costa too, bro. The,
3: well, Rui, 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 the original. I'm not taking anything away Rui Costa, but what I'm saying to you is, you know, he had there was years we had Sador and Gattuso next to him. They're not as creative players. Obviously, everyone knows what Cattuso brings. And obviously, Sadorf is a fantastic player all around. In my opinion, in the grand scheme of things, I think that Sadorf is underrated for what he actually brought, how successful he was as a player and how long he played oh, yeah. and how fantastic he was very late in his career. Um, but if you really look at it, Pirlo, was, he really had the keys to all those, for, for the most part, to most of those teams that he, that, that he was able to win silverware at. And I think, you know, that's, again, when you, you, know, when you get back to your point of, of you know, we could take Javi in and Javi, put Javi, uh, take Javi out. He really wasn't, in my opinion, again, for people who watch Barcelona way more often than I did, he really wasn't the end all be all. Man, if we don't have Javi, we're not going to be able to carry out our system and, and win games. I think, fantastic player, but that was great career, but I don't think he was as important to some of the teams he was on that Pirlo was
1: and look here's the thing he was tremendous at AC Milan correct yeah we all know what yeah. he did with Milan, but I'm not even gonna go back I'm not even what made my mind up about Pirlo when I realized his greatness it wasn't even for all that he was doing at AC Milan which was Post, tremendous yeah. it was no no no, it was the 2006 World
3: Cup when the whole the, oh, don't bring that up ran... after, after a couple days ago man <laughs> I'm sorry don't bring that up after a couple okay of- that's yeah but <laughs> hey listen that's
1: we'll, we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes but that 2006 world cup when everything ran through him okay and they went out to lift the world cup and when a lot of people didn't think they could do it and the guy to me was instrumental game in game out the, the italy moved as andrea Pirlo moved and i've never seen whether well, it was Barcelona or whether it was Spain, I understand they, they lifted three cups in a row, three major uh, cups in a row, but I've never at any point thought, wow, if you take out Xavi from this team, they would struggle to score a couple goals. They would struggle to win a couple. Where, with that Italy team in 2006, if you guys recall, goals were hard to come by, and everything was being run through them, and that's right then and there when I realized I'm watching a very special player, and it's, you know, it, it just – there's no way you could look at Andrea Pirlo ever since that and just sit there and say, okay, he's just another average player or anyone that's even playing his position at the time you could compare it to.
3: And he had a, um, and he had a cool, talking about, about that role, he kind of made that role cool in a way. I don't know. Yeah. If that, that's just me. I think when yeah. I watched him, he did it and again in an elegant way. He wasn't very. It was just – it felt like, like it was like poetic watching him spray the ball, you know, a quick little body feint to get separation and then pick a ball across the field, you know, like a diagonal ball, whatever. Like I just felt that those certain things, it was just like he kind of redefined or defined that position, if you will.
0: Yeah, I, I don't deny that. But, I mean, um, you're saying that, I mean, Xavi is like replaceable and that Barca would have had as much success – uh, if they had played without him, as I mean, they would have. With I mean, let's just say you started. Let's just say if um if we had started instead of Pirlo in the World Cup final, would Italy still have won? No, absolutely not. There's no way they were moving the ball without Pirlo on the field. I agree with that.
1: Absolutely, that's, yeah. that, and that's what it comes down to, guys. To me, that's why I rate him higher than the other guy because. You can't really – you can't tell me there's another Italian player at that moment that you could have pl- put in place of Pirlo and you could have still gotten the same results. Unless you changed the whole scheme around, you weren't going to do it at the time.
2: Now, what Spanish player could you have slided in exactly? Javi to have gotten
1: that same result? Bro, exactly. I mean, That's let's be realistic, guys. Over the last – well, from 08 to 12, that Spanish yeah. national team would have won with me in his place. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> well, you're right. I, I, I'm not the, I wasn't. I wasn't uh, sound defensively. So you're right. I wasn't disciplined enough.
0: Look, I mean, De Rossi was a was a great player in his heyday. Um, so was Sesc Fabregas, but they're no they're no Xavi and they're no Pirlo. So I mean, I I think that it. You know, I I don't think that you can make the argument that uh spain would have won without Xavi. i mean i think that you could just easily say italy what would have won without Pirlo? i mean i mean for like i think that gattuso de rossi a pivot of that would be there's like no the, creativity the, there be, I mean, like the biggest housing
1: like hey zach zach here here's yeah, listen here's yeah. the question right answer this yeah. question any one of you answer this question and this will answer our you know will answer all the doubts here right yeah, when you look yeah. back at two thousand and six World Cup winning squad of uh, uh, Italians World Cup winning squad, right. right? You start tell list me list me the top players that that had the most influence in, in Italy lifting that trophy, right? And then list me the top three or top four or top whatever it is. List me the most influential players in Spain throughout their three P, right? Okay. And, and you'll name a bunch of guys before you ever get to Xavi.
0: What? Oh, no. No, no way. way. No Xavi. No. Uh, that is. Ridiculous. Xavi is number one for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, you start with Xavi.
2: He's everything. He's the, the key to everything. Uh, the nearest analog that Spain, as well as uh, Barcelona, have to Xavi is uh, Sergio Busquets, who's another player who is routinely underrated uh, for that, for saying calm oh. elegance in like making a defense dance to his too. It's all very subtle. I mean, the thing about Xavi is. People always say, yes, short passes. Yes, he's just this uh, guy who stands there and sprays the ball around. But if you really watch the way he plays the game or the, or the way he dictates the game, he's everything. And There is no way the angles he sees, uh, the openings he makes, uh, the only player alive who can do that similar Thing is messy in many ways. The reason Spain is um, uh, struggling now and won't win the World Cup is, is because they're still trying to replicate that controlling style without a without a proper controller. I don't know if people think that Isco can do it. I hope not because he can't. And right now, what Spain will have have to do is find a new way to approach uh, the game because right now there's Still this, like, hybrid system that needs Xavi. I mean, Xavi was so crucial to to everything that happened. And much of the reason that Spain, as well as uh, Barcelona, uh, began to uh, decline. But because Xavi also began to
0: decline. You you don't think Thiago Alcantara can fit in? No. 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 Watch the two of them, right? When Thiago
2: was at Barcelona, uh, they would bring him in and... Chaos. Um, because Tiago, who is a, a fantastic player and has really uh, grown into his role at Bayern, but uh, when uh, Thiago was at Barça, uh, it was messy. Yeah, like yeah, but not I mean, not messy, but that's unfair. His, 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 that's I think unfair. that to, to play with, with was
1: 18 years old, um, it's unfair to, to, to say Tiago couldn't do the same. Tiago today is night and day compared to what he was at that time in Barcelona. I mean, the guy has evolved into a terrific player. At the time, he had all the ability, he had all the ability, and you thought that he was going to someday fulfill that. But at the time, he wasn't nowhere near the player he is today.
0: Right. I will never forgive the Barcelona board for, for bringing in Sesk and for really just doing everything they can to ignore Thiago and let him walk away for pennies to Bayern, to honestly. But
2: keep in mind that, that uh, Guardiola was the one who wanted Fabregas, right? He was part of that experiment to slide things around. So the board just said, okay, you want him? Yeah, here's the money. And uh, Thiago, yeah. I mean, I'm a little salty about that. Right, because I mean, people act like uh, he was this uh, weeping baby snatched out of the mm-hmm. uh, bosom of the uh, camp. No, I mean, he played Barca as hard as Barca played him. And how, OK, how you how want to go it? to Bayern and be with Guardiola, OK, rock on. Um, but the, both act like uh, he wasn't a part of that move, wasn't
1: a complicit in that, that deal. And he was. It was his call. Yeah, yeah, listen, man, players works. want playing time. I can't fault a young kid for wanting to get on the field and evolve as a player. Yeah, especially someone
2: who I comes to He test.
0: took his time, unlike, I don't know, Gio Dos Santos, for example, like left, over, left after like one season, and he, he never was anything good. I mean, yeah, I, I think that – I think an interesting conspiracy theory is, is Pep um, playing sesk in the last summer of his contract – uh, so Seth can you know get into get start playing more in this parts theme, only for Thiago to get pissed off and leave, right? So the biggest problem for Thiago yeah, wasn't Wasn't Fabregas. The biggest problem for Thiago was uh, Javier. Mm-hmm. I
2: mean, they were the the biggest stepping stones to his development, his playing time. I mean, uh, Thiago and uh, uh, Fabregas they could coexist, right? Um, but Tiago and uh, Xavi could not. And Xavi was going to be staying there a long time. And Xavi was far, far better than Tiago. And I don't know if uh, Tiago uh, will ever reach that, that Xavi level. Mind you, as good as he is.
0: Interesting question. To the pure low, to The two Peerler, I will say this, that was... Uh, Hey, Auto- Zach,
1: do, do an internet Earth test or something, bro. You're really breaking up here, buddy.
0: Me? Yeah. Yeah, you're Isaac. Oh damn. I'm sorry.
1: It's okay. You're back now. Go yeah. ahead. You got just edit this crap later.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, I think that, you know, an interesting point for Pirlo, you know, he was so good back in, like, the early 2000s and then come back into, the, like, the mid uh, this, the mid 2010s and he's still world-class, you know, he, he, we thought Allegri for one, uh, gave up on him, in my opinion at, at Milan.
3: And then, you we know, he's that he really, really the team down. That's why they didn't give him a contract extension.
0: Right. We thought that what, what he said was he would be played right midfield role, right center midfield role. Right. Um, so I, and and that's why he rejected it. I that's what he said in his uh, autobiography, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But who knows if that's
2: that's true?
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I that, that, yeah. I think a point for Pirlo. That's just so interesting to not only to uh, revive himself when many thought he was finished, the way uh, to really instigate a dynasty in Italy
3: that uh, doesn't look like it's going to be ending anytime soon. And you also got to look at his impact that he had. I mean, if we were, you know, I'm sure we have other things on, on the agenda for this for this podcast, but if you really want yeah. to look at also, you know, the impact of the players and, you know, over the span of their career, how good they were, you know, you look at the impact that Apurlo had on guys like Arturo Vidal and Paul Pogba, Marquisio even, when he arrived at Juve. I mean, yes, Marquisio was, you know, obviously... He's been who was, at the time he was established, but Paul Pogba was still a young player. Arturo Vidal became a superstar once, in my opinion, once Pirlo arrived because he allowed them to do what they did best while he took those, that role as the creative player. You know what I'm saying? And you, I mean, you guys will be able to, to speak more on, on Javi. Again, I think you guys had a little more of a, a view of him, um, yeah. but that's just really what I see from Pirlo. So, it,
2: in many ways, as I said it's like versus dark I mean, um, uh, There again, Xavi made it possible for Iniesta uh, to shine, for Busquets uh, to develop. Um, uh, he made Etto. I mean, the, my heavens, the passes that he would constantly give Etto were remarkable. So, But there again, I think that Xavi has always been underrated. I, mean, I think that uh, the problem with Barcelona is that uh, for Xavi? Is he's always had a more flamboyant player near him. Uh, he had Ronaldinho, uh, then he had Iniesta, and then Messi uh, blossomed into that life. So unlike Pirlo, right? Xavi has never had people sit and watch him. He is, for me, the reference for everything that um, Barcelona did, for everything that Spain did. And one of the more amazing things that Guardiola did was to figure that out and say, here you go, here are the keys, Uh, drive a car. And he did.
1: Did we lose everybody? You made such a great point, they went silent. Yeah, hey, uh, no, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here, yeah, I'm here too. Oh, okay, you guys <laughs> just do. Should we uh, <laughs> move on so we don't... Uh,
2: I thought I we lost. Down with Xavi
1: and Pirlo? Yeah, I thought we lost. Yeah, yeah let's move on. I mean, look, we're going to beat this, uh, we're going to beat the dead horse here, but it, they were both tremendous players, but I just never, to be brutally honest, I never really appreciated much of Xavi, man. I don't know. I just thought he always had great talent around him, and, uh, yeah, even though, like you said, he had the keys to drive the car, he got it moving forward, but it, it, everybody else around him was just a step above uh, the opposition. Like, I, I use this reference all the time. Like, uh, when, you have, when you're have when you in a horse race, right? I use this in Portuguese football all the time with, right. with Benfica. When you're in a horse racing and you're, you're a jockey on a horse, right, an actual horse, and you're racing against a bunch of donkeys, you're always going to win, even if you're a terrible jockey and uh i'm using the comparison here with 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 that tremendous barcelona squad at the time
0: that's that's fair enough um yeah and i mean i i'm still gonna go with xavi um i'm sure kevin feels the same but i gotta respect what pierlo did to really change the landscape in italy flip flip it from one
3: side to another um the, and, listen, I feel like the best way to wrap, the, the best way to kind of, you yeah. know, put the slam the door on this is that we, we are we're, we were blessed to watch, have watched both of them play at the same time. I mean, there's lot, again, we we, uh-huh. we we sometimes you know look, you know, take advantage and we look past the fact that we're watching guys like Ronaldo, Messi, you know, week in and week out, the best, the best, some of the guys, that, the best players to ever play the game. And I think you know that's what we could kind of pretty much say about Javi and Pirlo. That we were able to watch two of the best at their craft in some of the most, you know, illustrious times for both Spain and Italy. And I think that's, you know, a good way to kind of, you know, you put the bow on the entire conversation or debate rather.
0: Right. And I think I want to move over to Serie A since we, you know, did acknowledge Pirlo in in shifting the uh, power structure in Italy. Um, Big weekend in Serie A. Napoli-Milan, uh, Derby de la Capitale, and Juve Samp, among others. Um, Matt, what are your
3: thoughts going into Napoli-Milan? My thoughts going into Napoli-Milan, I guess we'll start with that one just because uh, I'm a Milan fan. I think it's kind of well-documented that I am. Um, it's It's going to be a difficult one for Milan. I think, you know... Obviously, the it's all you know. It's been well publicized that they haven't been playing their best or playing to expectations when you spend that much money. Um, for me, I you know, it's don't you know don't for people seem to seem to forget that you know, with all the with everything going on with the Azzurri, these club teams still have, we still have an exciting Serie A season to play, right? And I think everyone's going to still be locking eyes on Milan, how they're able to. Can if they're able to get back into the Champions League race. So, I mean, these are the games that, you know, Milan, when they're traveling to the San Paolo, um, you're just looking, as a Milan fan, you're looking to just, to, you know, scratch and claw and then get a draw because, let's face it, Napoli are a superior team. They're one of the, be- the best teams in Europe. Obviously, Pep Guardiola's been praising them, you know, over the two legs that uh, his Manchester City played against Napoli in the Champions League. So, for me, as a Milan fan, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm being realistic and that I think it's going to be a very difficult match for me not to get any kind of result from. But for me, I'd love to see at least a draw because I think that would be a little bit of so something you could take home with you back to the San Siro um, for the next round. But I mean, again, I, at this point, I really don't have many expectations, but just because I've, this season's been a roller coaster of emotions for me. Um, but, you know, if you guys want to chime in on that, or I can go to the next game because I know uh, the Roman Derby. Roman Derby is going to be another one as well. That's uh, surely you're going to want to watch. But what do you guys well, think of that, uh, Napoli-Milan? I, I Any other thoughts?
1: I think both Montella and Milan are desperate for points here, man. They need to get back into the top four Champions League spot race. Uh, but unfortunately for them, they're going up against a team that's the hottest team in all of Italy. Uh, they've won 11 of the last 12 matchups against AC Milan. They're averaging two goals a game. They're just hitting on all cylinders right now. And there's one thing to keep in mind, guys, there's one person in all of Italy that was excited and thrilled that, well, I don't, don't want to say thrilled. There must've been some disappointment, but he was excited at the end of the day to have uh, an Insigne back, fresh Insigne, I should say, going into the Milan game, um, and these guys, it, it, yeah. <laughs> this guy's guys laughing, it made me lose my train of thought. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think they're you know right now they're playing fantastic football, and, and it's going to be uh, and along with Matt, I should say, I'm also an AC Milan fan. But it's going to be a, a very tough game to go into the São Paulo and pull, of, pull off a result.
2: So a yeah, quick right. question: How much does uh, Milan miss in uh,
3: That's you know that's an interesting one. I mean, I. For me, when they got De La on loan last last January from Everton, I, I felt that it was a nice addition for them to make to at least get to to Europa League, which obviously they did. And he was a spark for them. He was a spark for them not only in this area, but he played a big role in them even against Juventus in the Coppa Italia. You know, just the fact of his pace alone, it it kind of brought a threat that they didn't have at the time. Sousa's a he's, a he's a quick player but he's not a guy that you can throw a ball down the flank and he can run at defenders and, and then you know really bring that pressure. And I think although Milan or Montella rather is playing with uh, like a 3-5-2 formation he's not really utilizing wingers but more wing backs. Mm-hmm. They're missing that element, someone who could bring that additional pressure, you know, run at defenders, you know, make them miss with a, with a you know a couple different moves and then you know have a, have, a, have a try at goal. Um, from, I mean, that's, that's something I would have liked them to see go after in the summer. They were looking for a winger. They were looking at Keita Balde. They were looking at um, – there was talks with Papu Gomez, who I, I love dearly, obviously, for what he's done at Atalanta. But, I mean, the fact that they didn't get a winger, I feel, really hurt them. And it hurt Montella because he was not able to bounce out of his 3-5-2 and make that tactical adjustment for four wingers. Bonaventura, good, a good option, and he was successful under Montella and even Mihajlovic as a left winger, but he's really more of a Mazzala, left, uh, he's a left midfielder. So uh, for me, when to your point about Feo, I think like that would have been a good um, move to make, but I think it, at the time it wasn't a priority because obviously they had so many needs to cover.
1: Yeah, look, De La Fe was a pleasant surprise for me. I, he, did, he did a lot better than I yeah. expected him to do once he arrived at San Siro. But that being said, whether De La Fe was on this team or not, I think the, the problem with this team right now is Montella's three five two system. I mean, there's really no room for, right. for De La Fe on saying. this system. And then on top of it, man, I mean, not, not to try to stray off this course here, but Borini? What the hell is Borini doing starting on this team? I mean, come on. I just – I do not understand what the hell Montella's doing. I thought he did a good job with them last year. Uh, but this season, he just there's just a lot to be desired, bro. absolutely agree with you. I well,
0: I, I think it's crazy how such an average footballer like Gerard De La Feu can have such importance on two, like, welterweights of European football, like AC Milan and Barcelona. Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Well, but
2: that's because he does one thing and does it really well. I mean, the great thing that uh, Val Verde has done for him is basically recognized how limited a player he is and said to him, you do what you do. And so he's not Mm. wherever he gets every time he gets that ball, he ducks his head and runs. I mean that's what he does and many ways asking him to think and do things that you might expect a Messi or a Dembele or a Neymar to do, uh, Deleuzeu can't do that. And for me, yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, man, it was so much fun watching him uh, play with
1: me. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing the thing, with him at, at Barcelona, bro, I think it's just the pressure. The pressure yeah. of living up to all the hype and the pressure of living up to Messi and the pressure of performing like like everyone else on the pitch and performing at that superstar level that you expect everyone on the Barcelona squad to perform to. Whereas at Milan, he came in with a clean slate and expectations were low at the time. And he came in and no matter what he did, there was really no one criticizing him. Every little move that he made and the guy could actually play free and be himself. And trust me, guys, that has a lot to do with the player's performance. Oh, that's huge. It it is. I think that it's tremendous. And when he's, Back at, at at Barcelona with that Barcelona jersey on, I think it's too heavy for him. I think he can't die die down and live down those expectations that they put on him. This guy was supposed to be the next messy, if you guys recall. He's supposed yeah, to be definitely... I'm sorry. But that was never gonna happen. I mean the yeah, no, heard... other no, I understand, yeah. but the hype was there though. He was supposed oh, yeah, to yeah, be the true. next one out of La Masia, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh-huh. And he just He's just – I don't think he's that type of player, and I don't think he's – you know, he could, he could perform to that level, and I think he knows that. And so going back there, he's just – he's not the player that everyone expects him to be. And I think playing free is is best for him, especially at this stage of his career. Oh, now, what
2: made him so good at the Milan was the way uh, you guys defend, right? I mean, you defend very uh, differently than Barcelona. So when Delefei makes his run I- – and then makes an error, loses the ball. At uh, Milan, he's uh, he's got a backup. Right and at Barcelona. Barcelona, uh, he might be twisting in the wind, and he'll have to uh, chase that counter attack. And I think that uh, because the Barcelona system tends to leave everybody on them at times, I think that makes him also uh, have a more difficult. Uh, time there than he did at uh, Milan where he had a I don't want to say real uh, real defense uh, but yeah. a more traditional well
3: mm-hmm. oh, yes and yeah, I yeah, mean you yeah, could also turn, turn this conversation on, on around he was playing as a true left winger I mean yes Milan had their issues with injuries at the fullback position last year but quietly Paletta, Zapata, uh, Romagnoli they, they were okay defensively last year and I think yeah, they were a little were. better than most people expected them to be, despite Paletta's what, five red cards or whatever it was, which was absurd. But they were a little bit st- more strong defensively than people wanted to give them credit for. And when you are playing at that wide, role, obviously, you know, most there's the, the, the common thing for people to think about in a wide role nowadays is, oh, you got to do more than just charge forward and, and look for attacking, you know, opportunities. you got to trek back and defend, but not everyone has that. And, you know, that's, that's again, I mean, that's why to your, you know, to your original point that, you know, when you said how much do you miss De Lafayette this year, he can't play wing back. He don't defend enough. No, right?
1: let's, and let's be honest, his strengths are playing in, you know, with space, being able to right. attack and get at defenders and playing. And let's be honest, playing on this Barcelona team. I mean, they always have the ball. How many times does Barcelona really go on a counterattack? Never, because everybody's always sitting back against them. So he always has to go up against one, two, three defenders and try to jiggle his way through or make something happen. Where at Milan, he's out on the wing, from getting to the long ball one on one and creating, which was a lot easier yeah. for him to do as Big well. Difference.
0: Big difference. Yeah, very true. I mean, I I think that well, like with regards to uh, the Bonucci signing. Um, you know i for one at the time thought it would be the signing of the summer it probably has but for reasons other than what you would hope for i mean i think that um just it, it it's it's tough because it makes it forced montella to spend the first um you know i would say the first 3 months of the season 3 4 months of the season uh trying out this Three man back line when I'm not sure if Montella is capable of implementing it. Um, you know, I thought that Montella initially, I thought he was a good defensive manager. Okay. And maybe not as good as Mihajlovic, but still good enough to, you know, solidify and make this work. Um, but I think that Milan, you know, the, the title challenge, the potential title challenge that we would have seen is over, I mean, I think that, what, what are we saying, Europa, maybe Champions League,
3: Matt? This, what, I mean, what? this year, this year, and I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what's been magnified or kind of overlooked, in my opinion, at least with, with where Milan are at in terms of, you know, their, their adversaries in the league, is that you got to understand that some of the top, the, top, the top five teams, I mean, Juventus, Napoli, this is in no order, Juventus, Napoli, Roma, Lazio, mm-hmm. Inter. All of them have been they haven't really dropped points. They haven't. Like even and even Roma is right at the top and they have a game at hand. You, you right. know what I'm saying? I think most people didn't expect maybe Lazio when Lazio got lost Cadabalde and they lost Biglia. And you know, I for one felt, you know, Lazio is gonna be a strong team. They're gonna compete, but I didn't think they were going to be a top four contender. I just think they didn't have enough top to bottom to stay in the pack or stay in the race until the, t- until the end of the season, which has clearly been proven wrong. Same thing Maybe. with Inter. Skriniar comes in, you know, all of a sudden. Then you have, you know, the, the, the Inter's playing above, exceeding expectations early on. I think they even have, if I can make an argument here, they have a, another level they can hit. I think that Spalletti is that good of a coach where he can get this team to another level above where they've been playing already. So I think you have to also look at the fact that, yes, Milan have had struggles. It's 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 obvious. But the teams above them are not dropping points. And when that happens, the, the really the pressure is always on you because you're always like, that. they won again. They keep winning. We can't even gain ground on these teams.
1: So, so Matt, would you say we're being a little bit unfair then to Montella? I mean, because they did bring in – Ten or eleven new signings, whatever the, the 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 amount was right now, it escapes me. But they brought in a bunch of new faces, and we understand. We should have all understood going into this that it was going to take them a little time to gel. Um, sh- should we cut Montella some slack due to the fact that all these teams you just mentioned they've all they've all gotten better. They're all playing at a better level than they were last, year, with the exception of maybe Juventus. But the other three teams, the other four teams you mentioned, they all seem to be playing better than they were last year. So should we cut Montella some slack?
3: I don't think it's interesting because I, I, I was one of the, I was at a Montella apologist last year. I always kind of backed him because I felt he was doing, it was exceeding expectations. He was doing much better with this team than when you look on the, when you look at the roster, you know, they really didn't have much. You're plugging in guys left and right. And, you know, you know, a couple injuries to Bonaventura late in the season. And he somehow made him was able to beat Juventus twice. One that actually got him a trophy. You know, you know what I'm saying? So for, for me, and then he was able to get the kids in there. Donnarumma, you know, obviously that was his real first full year. Locatelli and all these different players really, they, they kind of rallied because they felt like underdogs and they felt like they were kind of like the team that was getting kicked around. They weren't the mighty Milan anymore they had something to prove to everybody but with this year is that what it what it was and I, this was kind of played in the back of my mind as they kept signing players and signing players and signing players is that the fan base the supporters they got a little bit too cocky and a too they got a little too arrogant early because they saw all these players all these all these purchases we got Banucci we know we got Cutro not Couturone, excuse me Chahanaglu, we got Kayanich, Andre Silva, you know, obviously a Portuguese guy here. So I know you'll take, take kindly to nah, that. No, I already
1: lined up the next question with Andre Silva, but go ahead, keep going.
3: But <laughs> so, so when you look at it, Musakio, another good addition. You know, they got the wingbacks Conti, who went down to injury. Rodriguez. Pete, Rodriguez, right. So you'd had a lot of names, and a lot of sexy names. And if people were like top four, I think they'll finish top four. They may even make a title run. That's where people I felt that we're getting too ahead of themselves. I picked them to finish fourth personally, just because I felt that they would kind of be, you know, neck and neck with Inter to the very end and maybe just beat them out. I had Juventus, I had Napoli, I know, I'm excuse me, I had Juventus winning the league, Napoli second, I had Roma third, and then fourth, I had Milan. All
1: right. What's his infatuation with Borini, number one, and number two? What's up with? Yeah. Keeping the guy you just spent 39 million euros to 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 acquire from Football Club Porto and Andre Silva, and all of a sudden you're keeping this guy on a bench every other game. What what's the story with this?
3: I think for to starting with Borini, I think he's just. I think he's one of those players that, for one reason or another, a coach like Montella likes. Maybe he's a guy that's kind of overlooked by many in the fan base, by many in the media, and many in the league. As a player, it's like, who is this guy? Why did they even buy him? They spent, what, €5 million Euro on him. What's he's the terrible. point of having him, right? So when he stepped in to fill a wingback role, he's kind of been okay for Milan. And it's kind of been, you know, a little bit of a, a pleasant surprise, if you will, because Calabria's been injured. conti has been injured. They have Rodriguez. They obviously got rid of Di Chillo. Antonelli's really not much of a factor anymore, so... He's been given an opportunity to really prove people wrong, and I think he's done a pretty decent job of doing that. So that's why Montella's kind of, you know, likes him because I think he's kind of, kind of a guy that brings that energy. He brings—he's a better crosser than Abate. He's one of the better crossers that Milan have on the team right now. But as for as for Andre Silva, what I think it is is that the pressure to get results by Montella is making him lean towards a player like Kayanich who has a little bit more, has more experience in the league. So he's really kind of relying on him to, you know, carry more, a little bit more of an offensive duty versus going to a guy like Silva who has so much talent, but is still adapting to Syria. And I think he's, Montella is not able and he doesn't have, he doesn't have the, um, the luxury of time right now. So he's going with a guy that he feels can bring a little bit more in terms of goals right now versus a guy like Silva, who's still developing and he's going to be going through those, um, that adjustment phase to Italy. But then you can make the argument, well, why is he playing Coutrone that much? Coutrone is a younger kid than Silva. He doesn't have much top play experience at all coming into the year. I think he had maybe one five minute spell last year under Montella in a sub role. So I'm not too sure. And I think for me, I love Silva. I think everything I've seen at the international level with Portugal, everything he brought to Porto, and even in the Europa League with Milan, he's got so much potential and so much ability to be world class. It's just, I'm afraid that, you know, because Montella is really, you know, he's, he's pushed to get results here and to really turn this around because his job is dependent on it. He's not going to Silva. He's really only going to Silva in the Europa League and trying to get people off his back that way.
1: Yeah, he's not getting the results, though, and on top of it, you got a guy who costs 20
2: million euros. Everyone's
3: calling for Silva. No one really likes Kyanich. Kajanic is a very specific guy that's really relied on service versus a guy like Silva who can... Drop. He's a more of a nine and a half. He's a guy that can be everywhere in the drop into the midfield. He can he makes runs. He's he's energetic. He's he's got everything. He's got the passion, and that's what I I want to see from him. I want to see more of him. But again, I think you know when he's Montella likes Kyanich, and he's going to keep going with him, and he's going to go out his way regardless of what people like about it.
1: And also to defend Montella a little bit here, guys. I think Beagle hasn't played up to expectations. Chana, Chana Glu, I can't pronounce this guy's Chana name. Hana, I Chahana glue. Yeah. He hasn't been anywhere near as good as we anticipated it would be. So I mean, he's got a lot going on, but that three five two to me is the biggest problem he has.
3: He started with a four man backline in the beginning of the year, and yep. everyone was saying, "Oh, go to the three five two. Benucci's comfortable. That's what he played at Juventus. That's what he plays with the national team." And now everyone's calling for than to go back to the four-man four back line.
1: But you should. You go out and you get Rodriguez. You get the Conti, right? The right, right. back.
3: Right. But when Conti don't... gets injured, when Conti gets injured, now you're kind of saying, well, because you really need – you need two wingbacks, right? You need two wingbacks. But if you have a guy like, let's say, for example, that you play as a wingback in place of Conti, Calabria or Abate, they don't bring as much as Conti. No, but they do as a,
1: in a 4-4-2, four, four, though. In a four four two. that's different, yes, but that's what I'm saying. That's what he should be implementing is a 4 4 2, especially when you go get a Conti, go get a Rodriguez, who are both comfortable at right back and left back. And then you have Romagnoli, whoever the hell, or, or, or what the, the kid Usacchio, uh, the, the, or, or, with a combination of those with three. Absolutely, that I mean, that, that to me is a no brainer.
3: But the thing I think that a lot of people have, have been raising uh, or been bringing up recently, and I think it's something that definitely is worth looking at is a guy like Bonucci who plays in the center of a 3-5-2, it, it almost kind of cancels out what Biglia is supposed to do as a regista at the top, at the base of the midfield. Because when Bonucci, obviously everyone knows he likes to kind of push up and, and, and spray the ball around, go for that long ball he always loves to go for. But why do you have Biglia then? Because it's almost like they're kind of getting in the way of each other's creativity.
1: Which strengthens my, my original point. Right. Go back to or a four, a four man backline.
3: I agree with you. I just <laughs> want to see, I think people want to see Montella show some flexibility. That, you know, you can go to a three, five, two if you want against certain opponents, but Tinker, mix it up. If the three, five, two is not working, say Romagnoli, Bonucci in a four man backline, Biglia, you can still play in his normal role. That's what I think you're getting at, right? Just a little yeah, bit yeah, it's,
1: it's, You know, it's one thing to lose and look out of whack, and it's one thing to lose and show progress and show that this team is getting better. Right. And right now, people aren't seeing that, and that's where the real, all the questions are coming in as far as replacing him and bringing in a new head coach. And I think he needs to realize that and recognize that and maybe adapt a little bit better to the players he has on his roster than just to stick with his original, you know, uh, game tactics. That's just uh, my opinion. Zach, what you got on mine?
0: Yep. I mean... I, I Some great points brought up, um, but I think I wouldn't be doing my job as a podcast host if I didn't bring up the biggest story of an otherwise dull week in football, uh, Italy's elimination. Dull?
1: I'm pretty sure the Swedes aren't saying that, Zach. That's <laughs> right.
0: Come on. this Sweden is probably the most boring team in the world. Sweden, I mean, Peru, I, Australia. I, 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 Australia. I love Sweden, I love the food, I love the culture. I'm, I love the I gotta, women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta go <laughs> back to Stockholm one of these days. Best herring I've ever had. Um, and just overall, just gorgeous uh, country. But, uh, you know, this, this was a pretty damn basic team. Uh, no offense, I mean, you know, no, no Zlatan. But I I do think that this Italy would have won, um, in my opinion, if Sweden had on for for various reasons. But I mean, this was a it was a basic four four two shape, right? Um, you got you know Forsberg, incredible creator uh, nonetheless, and you know Lindelof, very good de- good defender in a low block, having a terrible season nonetheless. Um, Italy should not be going out to this team i i think that you know i wish them all the best i do think sweden are one of the worst teams uh that will be playing in the world cup next summer so i mean I, I just think what? that I'll, I'll i'll let you you must have not this.
1: been paying attention to the CONCACAF calf team it's i just, just
0: want to say this i really do think <laughs> that you know we always say oh i could have coached this team I really think that Italy would've been better off if, if Ventura, like if, if they had the players coach the team. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, look,
2: uh, they were awful the whole qualifying tournament. They were. They never showed signs of cohesion. Uh, they never really showed signs of real, real intelligent play. They were spraying the ball everywhere. I mean, it looked in many ways like Ivory Coast, right? Just mm-hmm. uh, 10 guys running around, kicking the ball as they, they can, they're running the other way. And Sweden, I mean, they uh, played as a team. And a, a, a team is always going to be a collection of individuals. Yet yeah, Italy had the names, but, I mean, they didn't have the structure. And even, so when you have a dog shit coach, right? Uh, the uh, players have to take it on themselves yeah. and say, you know what, this guy's going to do anything for us. We know what to do. Let's play our game. They never did that. They they kept making the same dumbest mistakes time and time and time again. And Sweden was just standing there laughing and hoofing the ball away. The they didn't deserve to
1: win that one. Hey, look, man, I'm going to be brutally honest yeah. here, guys. As I sat there and watched the Swedes celebrate, I felt bad for the Italians. But then I remembered I had a flashback to 1993 when they screwed Portugal out of a World Cup spot. And real quick, I didn't feel so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's, it's a sad scene when you see one of the powers of, of European football uh, four World Cups, the rich tradition, uh, not making it to a World Cup. It, it wasn't good. For the Italians, but you know what? It also means that the rest of the world is getting better at the sport. Other yeah. countries are improving. And so sometimes you have to tip your cap to the opposition. Italy weren't good uh, in, in any part of the field throughout these two matches. Like like Kevin mentioned, throughout the whole qualifying, they struggled. They, weren't, they were not They a far cry from the Italian sides that we're accustomed to seeing. And so maybe sometimes, man, you need to go through these pitfalls in order to, to, to realize what, what it is that you're doing wrong and correct the stuff, so in order to be better in the future. And maybe in a couple of years from now, the Italians are looking back at this and saying, you know, this was a blessing in disguise. So,
0: mm-hmm. Matt, is it a blessing in disguise?
3: Uh, I mean, the dominoes have to fall first for before actual real change could happen. Ventura's gone, yes, but Tavecchio, I mean, I think Tavecchio has to be the next one. And I think, I did, an, I did a lengthy article on the entire thing for these football times. There's my shameless plug. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I kind of pretty much gave some recommendations and some solutions to rectify this and to, to make sure that year zero, if so that's what everyone's calling it, starts on time. Because I think when you lose a generation of, of talent like, like Italy is right now, right? So when you get into that next World Cup uh, qualifying uh, phase for 20, 2022, um, shit, man, 2022. Right. <laughs> I can't even think that far away. I'm um, gonna be dead by then. Like, I oh mean. my god, but there's a lot, but a lot of these players. You look at, you look at the guys that, that, that Italy's top guys, right? You're looking at obviously, aside from Buffon, Perosi, uh, uh, whoever mm-hmm. guys like Insignia are gonna be 28, Verratti's gonna be, I think, 30, which that's frightening. You're losing that's, a that's world. Lo- yeah. These guys aren't 18, 19 years old. These guys are right now. They're ready to compete in a World Cup, and they're ready to make a difference. They're not kids anymore. And I but, think that's what's frustrating for a lot of people because a lot of these names came from that U21 side at the under-21 at the Euro, the under 21 Euro um, in 2013 where they lost to Spain. That, span, that, that great Spanish side that had Mar- Morata, De Gea, Tiago, yeah. Isco, and all those you know spectacular players. Carvajal, I think, was on that team as well. Mm-hmm. Those guys, this was supposed to be their generation. Not 2014 because they were still very young. 2018 was supposed to be the World Cup where, in my mind, Italy was supposed to get back into the as a power, right? That's what's frustrating to me is they lost a generation of talent and a generation here where they could, really could have made a big, huge splash on the international front. And it just that's what's frustrating the most to me. And now you have to really not start from scratch because I think you know that's going to pretty signify that's going to signify that well, you know, maybe Serie A isn't doing as good as it should be. Serie A is on, I think, Serie A, in my opinion, is on an upswing, obviously, in the trade uh, this year. But I don't know, I think, you know, was this the most talented Italy side I've ever seen? No, no. was it better than 2014 in my opinion? Yes, better than 2010, where Lippi chose a lot of the older players from the two side. Yes. I think that maybe Italy would have won the World Cup in 2018 if they qualified. I don't think they would have won. I don't think they were on the level of Spain, Germany, and France, Portugal even. You could throw them there. Mm-hmm. But I think they were definitely worthy enough to qualify. And that's very clear when you look at the top of the, 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 their entire roster. Buffon was still at a, as at, playing at a high level. You have BBC in the back. You have Verratti. De Rossi, you know, when he throws on the, uh, the blue at shirt, he's a different player than what he is recently at Roma. Immobile, Belotti. You have Insigne. You have some good players. That's what's the frustrating. Is that it's not that you look at the team and they didn't have talent. So okay, you know, kind of expected this. No, I expect them to qualify for the World Cup. And I think as oh, once do. once Ventura, I think where really everything changed and where everyone really kind of it was really a bit of more of like a reality, a reality for everyone to see that they may not qualify was when he fielded a two man midfield versus Spain. Mm-hmm. And that's where he lost the group, and now all of a sudden the playoff was inevitable.
1: See, Matt, I'm, a, I'm gonna tell team. you, I'm gonna tell you where you failed to qualify in a world cup, and it wasn't that Spain game, it was hiring no you, you for <laughs> no, 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 before no, no, it was even, even much, much deeper than that. What messed you guys up was when you played the one friendly against Portugal and you lost on a there goal, there, the Portugal savior, the ugly duckling, he scored. The goal for the one-nut winner in a meaningless friendly game that knocked you guys out and put Romania in pot two, as opposed to you guys, and you guys wound up with Spain in your group. And there is the reason why Italia did not qualify for the World
0: Cup. Look at look at just <laughs> qualifying. I mean, I I remember watching matches of uh, of Italy against what Israel and
3: um, Macedonia, Albania, Macedonia, Albania. <laughs>
0: terrible, then. I mean. To to think that like first of all, I I'm not sure if there's a successful team in Europe who plays with a four-two-four. Um, really, just a ridiculous appointment for to get Ventura in. But you know, Matt, tell me what what will change if if we if we get rid of uh, Tavecchio. I mean, what what how how not get
2: rid of, of, get of higher, higher. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay.
3: I mean you're wait so let me just let me be clear. You're saying what will change if they fire Tavecchio as the president of Fiji G?
0: Yeah, do they have that
3: power? I the thing is though, it's if at the last election, the last election, most of the Serie A teams, I believe all but two, I think it was Juventus and Roma yeah. voted against the appointment or the presidency of Tavecchio. Everyone else voted for him. Mm-hmm. I think that's where my biggest concern is because, right, that's the first domino, or the second domino now that has to fall. ventura is gone. But Tavecchio needs to follow and get out of there. Same thing with Lotito, who's one of Tavecchio's biggest backers, and he has been for a while. Dimitri Albertini even called him out on it a couple of years ago when he was running for the presiden- presidency himself. I personally would love to see Albertini. I think he's done so much post-playing career. For Italian football, he opened up a a, a school under his name. He served several different roles within office for the Italian Federation. He's a guy that has has the vision and he has the ideas to really get this thing done and get this project back on track and get Italy to become a powerhouse once again. I just don't know if it's it's going to be that easy. as Saying, "Well, no, they should fire him. He's going to step down." It's it, it's corruption. It's 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 political. It's all these different things that get into it, and I think it's going to be a lot difficult than people think.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, who are we replacing Ventura with then?
3: Yeah,
1: and I apologize for that, Matt. I could I I, I misunderstood. I thought you said they were going to next hire to Ventura. No, no 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 fire I, I, okay. I'm under, I understood. I understood. Hire for fire. I'm I, I apologize.
3: Um. The biggest name, I think, or the, 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 the main guy that it has to be, and I'm not too like sure it's going to be so simple to do just because he likes to coach day in and day out and be around the players on a weekly basis, is Ancelotti. Mm-hmm. He's, won, he's won titles at in the top five leagues. He's done it everything. He's won Champions League trophies at Real Madrid, Milan, you know, whatever. But... For me, not only he's going to be expensive, and I think he's obviously he's worth it. He's proven it over his entire career that he's worth, you know, the money. Um, but I would have, lo- I would love. It's amazing. If Milan fans are calling for Ancelotti to be their next coach. Italian national team supporters are calling for Ancelotti to be the national team coach. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's 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 It's, Shoot, it's a no like brainer. An That's what it is. Because brainer. Yeah, mean, I don't no. see Allegri. Allegri just they put Juventus pretty much chose Allegri over Bonucci. Allegri signed a contract extension. So I don't see him moving unless they completely collapse and they have a bad year, they maybe don't win the title or they finish third, fourth, whatever. Who else are you um, gonna okay. look at Mancini cuz he's not leaving Russia. He just went to Russia. I think
1: he's at Zenit. For me it's Carlotte all the way and there's a dark horse, Matt. You tell me if I'm crazy here, but Conte <laughs> hey, he's there's a lot of rumors swirling around about his unhappiness at yeah. Chelsea. Hey, he might be available.
3: But Conte, they they sent out Mather Lincoln Conte at Milan. I think Conte is the only way the next role he takes. I think Conte was a little bit more of a stopgap option, but I think he really wasn't a. You can see it. He he was on a long term solution. He coached two years. He had a good you know a an interesting and exciting run at the last year's Euro where they lost to where they lost to uh, Germany. But I don't see him coming back to the national team. in a, In a lot of ways, I think he's he's similar in certain cases to Ancelotti. They like the 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 the, the constant, the rigorous um, club level, you know, scheduling and, and being around the players, the training, and all these different things. I think he's. I think he's the the front runner to coach Milan next year. But you I think a lot of that is dependent on if where they finish. You know what they, they, they like more eight, than coaching eight, they're every day. Coach Milan. Who knows. But I think, for me, if, if Conte is the guy that's going to move into Milan and be the coach after this year, because I don't think Montella is going to last whether he finishes fourth or, or not, um, I think Ancelotti would be the guy, and I think he's the only guy that Italy fans can really look for as not a savior, but all right, we're making the right – right, we're back on we're, – we're, at least we're making a good move. We're not getting cheap by signing a Ventura-like coach mm-hmm. – who hasn't proven anything over his forty-one years of coaching? We're getting a guy who's a big profile name. He's the guy that, if you hire Ancelotti, of course, you has to be at least sticking around until Euro. That's fair to say, right, guys?
2: Um, but here's the uh, the big Ancelotti question for me. Right, is he the guy who fixes uh, the broken project, or is he the guy who, who comes in to help put the uh, finishing touches a coaches. well-running project? Rowan, right? I mean, uh, he's coming into uh, that uh, national team, and that, that team is, its right now, it's, it's a mess.
3: It's got to be. You know, you know what it is, too, is that for, for me, when I think there's a lot of people, they look at, they, when they immediately see that Italy didn't qualify the World Cup, they must not have any talent. They must not have anything to work with, which I don't think is true. If you look at their, their under-21 team, after this, take a look at their under-21 team and, and pick at their under-21 team under Divis Mangia the past I – mean, I'm excuse, not Divis Mangia, DBIGO the past couple years. Mm-hmm. The talent is there. The problem is bridging that gap be, be, be between being a good young player with potential and promise that's not quite finished yet and being a first-teamer at the Serie A level and for the national team. That's right. the difference between it Italy right now and some of these other nations. You're seeing it with perfect example is Germany. Timo Werner, right? Timo Werner, 21 years old. He's a 21-year-old kid, and there's a good chance he starts for Germany at the World Cup. I think that's, that's fair for us to, to at least say right now, right? Yeah. He's scoring yeah. for Leipzig. He's, he's a fantastic player, everything, everything like that. He's, way, he's playing way beyond his years. That's the that's difference. Making, getting, for, getting first-team players, developing players. And I think that's where you really want to bring in Ancelotti to get those guys and to graduate them into you know, understanding what it means to play for the first team, the national team and everything like that.
1: Well, just look at England and, and Portugal in years past as well. I mean, you have a tremendous youth level, right? The, the talent mm-hmm. yeah. is there. But these guys, none of those guys are cracking. Chelsea, Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal once in a while, but most of those guys are even foreigners. These kids aren't going and getting first first team play, they're on getting the bigger down. stage. Absolutely, they're not, and, and even getting loaned down. they're going out to the championship. They're not in in, in the in the EPL. I'm talking about in England. They're not getting yeah. that chance that that the other guys in Spain and even in Italy, because Italy a lot of those youngsters do get first team football uh, throughout the rest of the league. But that's what it comes down to. Players, in order to develop, need to be on the field and play. And if they're not playing and playing at the highest of levels, they will not develop to what you expect them to be, and especially at the international
3: level. Which leads me which leads me into my into my next point is that Italy need to adapt, they need to restructure their the system, their the tiers of of Italian football. You know, you know the obviously everyone's everyone knows where I'm going with this is B teams. Right? So why is Milan's Milan has all these players that have been come over the years have been highly touted, you know, well-recognized, everything like that. Hakim Mastor is is the one guy that everyone likes to mention, but they're getting a lot, not only get lost in the shuffle, they're not playing with the competition that they should be playing with versus the countries like France, Germany, Spain, even as a prime example, they all have B teams. And those teams, those kids are getting loaned or, or getting sent to their B teams and they're playing against, professionals, their age, they're playing well, better competition versus let's, let me finish this real quick, where guys at the Milan Primavera team, they should be playing against in the Lega pro the third division, fourth division, Serici. that's, that's where they should be playing. against professionals, Italy's third, uh, Italy's Serici, they have about 60 teams. A lot of them are financially unstable and everything like that. Why can't 18, 19-year-old kids be playing professionally against competition at their level? That's what I don't understand. That's, what, that's also something I really really would hope that, that happens. But again, that has to be you know, backed and taken on by the entire league and the teams that can afford it. There's not many teams in Italy that, in, the, in the top flight that can afford that with the exception of maybe the, the, the regulars that we're going to mention, Inter, Milan, Juve, Napoli. Roma, Lazio, maybe Fiorentina. Not every team can do that. And I think that's also a problem is, again, to get players to play consistently with better competition so that they are more prepared to take that next step in their progression and not kind of uh, plateau, if you will.
1: We had the same problem in Portugal where the kids at the youth level weren't progressing and developing the way that we all anticipated they would. And for years, there was no no B teams in Portugal. So what they did, they implemented, you know, Porto, Benfica, Sporting, Braga, Guimarães, all the bigger teams in Portugal. They all now have B teams and they all play in the second division. So you have a case like Portugal on their, uh, Benfica, I should say, on their B team, they realistically, all they play is their under-19 kids. They're all playing in second division. I went to a game myself to watch, and they were playing against de Madeira at the time where they had like the goalkeeper for Union Madeira Nielsen was 40 years old. They're playing against grown men, and these kids are still under-19 level and they're playing against men in the second division. Now, if they go out and they win the second division, they can't get promoted. That's 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 the you know, that's the rules, the way the rules right. are set Makes up. Sense. But at least these kids are playing against grown men and they're developing against grown men so like that when they do make the jump to the
3: first team. That adjustment is not that great to me. It's not it's not that drastic. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm going from playing against teenagers to man, I'm playing against uh, Paulo Dybala week in a week out, Adris Mertens week in a week out. I'm playing against I'm going from playing against kids to playing against stars
1: in a yeah, matter physically, of a year or two years. Physically they'll be they'll be used to playing because they're playing against men. Physicality is just whether the guy is next level or not. But physically, they're accustomed to playing against those guys week in, week out. Absolutely. Right.
0: Right. So, um,
1: Matt, would Italy think outside the box and, and, and name a foreigner as a head coach? I mean, they they, no they would choice. absolutely get. Yeah. For I would that, love right? to see no. that happen, but no, it's
3: choice. not going to happen. I no think choice. you know. I think that's such a big. I think that's. I mean, even if that was something you wanted to bring up, who who, who would who would go in? Mourinho! they love him. There's look. <laughs> No, but there's
0: there's so many good foreign coaches that they could that they could appoint. I mean, how many good Italian managers are there that you know that they could appoint? I mean, Conte and Angelosi obviously the ones we talked about. Um, you know, Allegri,
3: Sarri. I mean I'm not I'm not saying they're gonna leave, but good Italian coaches.
0: Giampolo, um you, yeah, know, you in soccer, you get Sari. Gianpaolo Gasperini. For me, they're kind of more in the Montella or Ventura type of you know, not not terrible, but like pretty average in my opinion. So
3: I think I, I can like coaching the national team at some point very soon. But I think he'll have a little bit of a similar uh, path that Conte had. Maybe yeah. uh, coach and then make a move to the Premier League, or he may make a move to the Premier League first, then coach the national team. But listen, Italy have some of the Italian. The, some Italian coaches are some of the best coaches out there. It's it's it's. The fact is though is that there's not many that like to be they either, I don't think they want to coach the national team right now. They wanna be around again, they have so much more to prove at the club level, coaching day in and day out. The only guy I could see that really steps in for the national team role is Ancelotti. I don't I mean, I know the rumors are going around. I mean, who else could you realistically who could if you're if you're an Italian national team supporter right now, after everything that's happened, You can't take anything but Ancelotti, in my opinion. Or I mean, with the exception of maybe Conte, obviously. You can't take another provincial manager with kind of a a a risk gamble type manager at this situation. You can. You You take Sari.
1: You take Sari in a heartbeat.
3: I'm not. He won't leave though. No, I know. But I'm just saying, saying. I'm talking realistic candidates. Someone who would is possible or is being linked to the role. We've heard Ancelotti, we've heard Capello, which no, 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 um, Mancini, Mancini's downplayed it Mancini and he ain't taking that role at least anytime soon. Yeah. You can't, after everything that's happened, bring in a guy that's a risk. You need to show the supporters that look, we're making changes. We're going to bring in a coach that is, is high profiled, has had steady success. That And that's what I think hurt Italy. Got Conte. Conte. So are, are, yeah, he was able to motivate 23 players, not the best 23 players. And then you go and get cheap and you hire Ventura, who over 41 years has only won a Serie C trophy.
0: Yeah. Like, so so are, we, are we waiting for Allegri to possibly make a move and leave Juve this summer? I mean... It
3: depends on where they finish. If they win the league, he ain't leaving, in my opinion. Really? If they finish third, maybe, and they maybe get to crash out in the Champions League, maybe quarterfinals... So, at
0: worst, they're finishing third. I personally think they'll win Serie A again, though, because I think that... Sarri isn't rotating enough. I think that... Gulam being
3: injured is a big loss for them, too.
0: Gulam being injured is a huge loss, and, I mean, they've still got... Uh, quite a few weeks until they can buy a replacement um you know I, I think that Juve will win again um and but if they do i I think that you know buffon leaving um so a, a lot of key players' future up near my opinion I would honestly see Allegri getting bored and yeah and I think
1: if you the if you were to win the champions league you 'd walk out on top why come back
3: but the thing we is they'll be I don't think anybody expects them to win the Champions League this year. They no, have, they have so I mean, many noticeable weaknesses. I, I'm
1: not saying they expect them. The question, the question was: Would he leave at the end of the oh, season? And I'm saying, leave? if they were to win the Champions League, I think why not walk out on top? There's nothing else to conquer here. There's no. And
3: that's fair, but I think that's, if you, if they ch- again, like I said earlier, if they chose Allegri over Bonucci, because I was, that's pretty much ultimately what they did, inadvertently. That's kind of what they did. That's what it looks like they did. I think that Allegri has maybe this year, next year, maybe. I think this is his next two years, and I think then you'll kind of maybe see him walk. But if they have again, like I said, if they finish third this year and they don't have a deep run in the, and they then it's clear that, that 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 Juventus dynasty, that six-year new Scudetto title run, it's done. The era is done. I think that's when he kind of steps away and he goes for a different role, change of scenery. But if, again, if they win. And they make a, maybe a quarterfinal, semifinal run. I think he'll stay. I think he'll keep going as long as they keep winning titles. But I think it's – I wouldn't be shocked either way because we've seen it many times. Look at Conte. Conte won the title last year with Chelsea. He's been off to a pretty difficult start for Chelsea this year. And now everyone's saying, oh, he's gone. It's, things can change so quick with coaches, especially at big clubs that, you know, they can walk in a month. You know, you don't know. But, again, I really will have to see where Juve are at the end of the year – and in what manner, if they do, obviously, don't win the Champions League, in what manner do they crash out of the Champions League?
0: Right. I mean, I think that Juve have a good squad skill. I, I think that this season they've relied mostly on individual brilliance, whether it be uh, Pjanic or Dybala or even Higuain. Um Once they click, I think it'll be good. But I still think... That they need to find out the best CB pairing. I think they need to find out, um, you know, what are they going to do. I I don't think this team, uh, was. I think Juve were incredibly irresponsible in not getting a Dani Alves replacement, um, besides Matia Chiglio. But uh, who's who? Who are we saying is going to win Serie Ah,
3: uh,
0: because I'm that's... I'm sticking with Juve. Oh, Juve.
3: I I I really do think Juve are gonna win again. It's tough for me to say because I have to see if you asked to me after the game on on a Saturday against Milan because I want to see how Mario Rui plays. Mm-hmm. I want to see if he's able to to fill in.
1: Yeah, he's coming Goulon. back. He's coming back from uh, from an injury, right?
3: Well, Gulam's out, so... No, I know, still-
1: but Mario Rui was also... He came back. He was expected to be yeah, the yeah. starter. Yeah, then he yeah. gets injured, and you he he injured his knee. And he, I think this was, you know, one of his... He's
3: reunited. He's reunited uh-huh. with Sadri from his days at Empoli together, mm-hmm. days with Empoli together. And that's going to be an interesting narrative for people to watch. Can he fill the role? I think they're still going to get a fullback regardless. I think they're looking at um, Grimaldo, I heard. There was, like, a link with Grimaldo. Looking at uh,
0: Versalico.
3: For Sa- I yeah, Versalio from, um, from Atletico Madrid, who used to play for Sassuolo. So that, the, and that, I think Inter are kind of maybe looking ahead in two. But I think they're going to get maybe a stopgap option as a backup. But I think it's at this point, it's Rui's job to lose. I think that's going to be interesting to see is how they recover. Because Gulam has been one of their big players this year for them. And I think that was such a big blow to them. And they don't have as much depth. Um at any position besides midfield in my opinion. Um, and the attack, obviously they have some some firepower there, but defensively is where they're a little bit slimmer. When you lose a guy like Gulam who's been who's able to defend, he's able to charge forward, cross the ball and everything like that, you really wonder if is this gonna be where they start slipping and start maybe dropping results. Because they haven't done that this year, unlike years past, where they, you know, they would drop points against teams, you know, draw everything like that. And that's what cost them the title.
0: Yeah
3: we haven't look, seen that yet from them but we have to see again how they bounce back and respond to losing a big player like Goulam. and I think that's what we'll really have to be looking at on Saturday versus Milan.
1: I think if Rui is healthy I think you'll have no problem feeling yeah, in the guy. I agree. I mean and it's not because he's Portuguese I'm just I just think he's a quality <laughs> player.
3: Yeah yeah. And and plus and he, plus, he, and he uh, takes a liking to again him and him and Sarri uh-huh. have a good relationship from their Empoli days.
1: Exactly. And look I think Juve is going to run away with it again but I, I would love to see Napoli Win the win the scudetto. I mean, obviously Milan, right? right let's let's yeah. put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Rossoneri, of course, but I don't think we're gonna do it. So we're talking about the top four teams right now, and I think Juve is gonna get it once again. But Napoli would be tremendous to watch them lift the scudetto.
0: Great, great podcast. Thank you to my three good friends, Matt, uh, Cristiano, and Kevin. Great having you on. Thank
2: you.
0: Thank you. Always a pleasure, buddy. And I uh, hope we can do it soon. I know we'll. Be talking soon. I'm um, your host, Zach Chloe, and this has been Breaking Lines. Thank you. Good night.